Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. He uh, has uh, been a great friend of the show for many years, even prior to what we do now with 365 Sports. He helped nurture me with covering the Rangers at baseball training camp in Florida and also in Arizona. The great T.R. Sullivan joins us. Retired Major League Baseball writer on 365 Sports. It's great to hear from you. Have you on, TR? Paul Catalina, Craig Smoke, David Smoke, Adrian Beltre, 99-plus percent. Uh, your thoughts about what his impact was in uh, the no-brainer. Obviously, he's a part of Baseball's Hall of Fame. Hi, David. Nice to see you. Nice to be with the gang again. You too. Um, <laughs> uh, look, he's one of the best third basemen in baseball history. I mean... But if you look at it, David, and you and you and I were both around but talking about it in 2011, he was not a Hall of Famer. And he talked about it today. We were at his press conference, and he went through a rough time in Seattle. You know, he had the – you know, got off to a good start with L.A., went to Seattle, had a rough time, uh, had a comeback here with Boston. When he comes to the Rangers in 2011, he's not a Hall of Famer. He's a good third baseman, doesn't have a whole lot of credentials. He really flourished in Texas, you know. He was on great teams. He was more experienced. He knew himself better as a baseball player. He knew himself better as a hitter. He was more confident. And his attitude, just, his attitude, which we all saw on the field, was, I'm going to go out there and have fun. Enough of this pressure. Enough of this, you know, trying to please the fans, trying to live up the contracts and all that. I'm just going to go out and have fun and be myself. When he, when he did that for the Rangers, he became – Adrian Beltre, and he showed the world who he was. I mean, he was always a great defensive player. He was always a very good offensive player, but he took that to another level with the Rangers, and he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. TR, he um, and you were around every day in the the clubhouse, like just covering sports. I don't know if I've ever been in clubhouses that were as – like equally fun and locked in as those Rangers teams were. And he had, he was able to thread that line of being the guy who could be super serious when they needed to be, but also just 
you know, mastered that the the idea of baseball is a kid's game and you're getting paid millions to play it and let's have a blast. He and Elvis Andrus at infield practice was a fun thing to watch. And that's usually the most mundane thing ever. You're right, Paul. I mean, I mean the Rangers needed that. The Rangers really needed that because, you know, they were, they were in pennant races and, you know, they were trying to win a pennant and um, – that's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure to win in baseball in any sport. And, and you need guys who can, you know, keep you from going crazy from let, keep you from letting the pressure get to you. And, and Beltre was very good at that. And, um, Michael Young was very good at it. Some of them, I don't think we're, we're as good at it as, as those two. And I think they really, really carried the weight of as far as leadership in that clubhouse. And, you know, making it a fun place and, you know, not taking it too seriously, Not, but, but more importantly, not letting any loss get bigger than it is. That was one of the good things that those two guys, Michael Young and Adrian Beltre, when the Rangers lost, it was not, you know, it was, you know and Texas has this mentality of it because the football is like every loss is an apocalypse now. You know, oh, we lost this game. The Cowboys lost this game. Where, where does this do to the team? Well, baseball is a whole different story because they play 162 t- games. And Beltre and Young were the best at saying, hey, we lost. We'll make adjustments. We'll come out and play hard tomorrow. Tierra, I know you've seen a lot of people inducted, so I don't know if like the percentage jumps out to you, but 95.1%. I mean, he's clearly the headliner in this class and, and by far the highest percentage. Uh, surprising to you that he got that high of a total first year on the ballot, or is that was kind of expected? Well, there's a couple of things in, in play here, guys. Number one is, uh, you know, guys who are, who are perceived as clean, quote unquote clean, I think they're getting a lot more respect than they normally would, you know, you know, 15, 20 years from now. 15, 20 years ago, a guy like Belichick could probably have gotten about 85%, you know, which is clearly more than enough to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, but now I think guys who are perceived that they, we're not messing around with steroids, don't, don't have that taint, you know, play the game right, play the game with respect. I think they're getting a lot more love from, you know, from the curmudgeons, the, the gruff guys who say, oh, he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer, or, you know, he's not as good as Babe Ruth, or he's not as good as, you know, Willie Mays. You know, who, the guys who had higher standards, I think, are given a little bit of more leeway the guys like Beltre, and that's why I think now you're seeing a lot of guys in the 90 percentile uh, that they weren't there before. I think they're they're just they're being more uh, I don't know welcoming or uh, lenient or whatever you want to call it on uh, from some of the guys who who were re- traditionally really tough on first ballot Hall of Famers. So Tr to go through the Hall of Fame voting, you've done that. Uh, the Heisman Trophy voting, you name three players. It's not five, it's not nine, it's not 12, it's three. With the Baseball Hall of Fame, how is that process for someone like yourself who's voted? Well, there's a committee that, that comes up with a, like a 25-26, somewhere around that 25-26 candidates, okay? And, and, and the ballot gets sent out in November, and writers like me who have 10 years' experience, I mean, you have to have a minimum of 10 years' experience, we can vote for up to ten players. Okay, and and usually I don't know. I don't know. Usually it's been about four hundred fifty to five hundred voters a year. I'm not sure what the exact number was this year. And you got to get seventy five percent of the vote. So you know whatever whatever that comes out to. Um, 
you know, 300, if you're 500, 500 people vote, I guess that's like 375, I guess. 375 people have to vote for you. So, you know, again, I think Beltre, I think it was like 469 and he got 458, something like that. I, I can't remember, but he got all, but it was all about like 11 votes or something like that. I remember, I think Nolan Ryan didn't get six votes, five or six votes. And that was a big thing. And then somebody, one person didn't vote for Derek Jeter, but I remember, I remember back in the 70s, or I guess it had been the 70s, Willie Mays, five people didn't vote for Willie Mays. Well, this, of course, before the Internet and all that, so nobody really revealed their vote. But I remember the Sporting News, which back then was a much bigger deal than it is now. I don't even know if it still exists. But the Sporting News ran a big editorial offering all the space they wanted to anybody, any of the five voters who wanted to come forward and explain why they didn't vote for Willie Mays. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you know, maybe the greatest player ever lived. So anyway, it's basically, to me, though, here, here's the thing about this, guys. If you get 75% of the vote, you've done great, okay? That's a, that's a pretty high standard for this. And the writers are pretty tough. I know there's, you can also get in on the Veterans Committee, which is a whole different ball game. but the writers are very tough. We have high standards, and a lot of good players like Ron Sandel didn't get in, you know, Dale Murphy getting in. You know, everybody has their favorite player who didn't get in, but we have high standards. And if you get 75% of the vote, I don't care if you get it in your 15th year like Jim Rice or Rich Gossage or you get in your first year like Adrian Beltre and Derek Jeter, when you're in the Hall of Fame, you're in the Hall of Fame. You're in, okay? The Hall of Fame doesn't have like a gold, silver, and platinum level like that. You're either in or you're out. If you're in, if the Rodgers vote you in, in my view, you deserve it. But what are your thoughts then if you were a Hall of Famer eight years into your voting ability, uh, you're, you're – I guess, eligibility. Why were you not a Hall of Fame in the first year? Was it because of every others that were on the ballot at that time? Yeah, that's a lot to it. And, I, and I've, been, I've been voting 26 years, I think. And I'm going to be honest with you, my, I changed my mind on players, some players from year to year. Mm -hmm. um, I was not a Burr Blylevin fan for a long time. Blylevin started out like at 15 16%. And he, he finally got in at like in year 14 at 75%, barely got in. But you know, a lot of it, a lot of it in the past has been sabermetrics has really taken over, and a lot of players have gotten a, a fresh view from from voters through uh, the advanced statistics. You know, you know, a lot of times players look at a guy differently. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, one day, you, I mean, literally, I've had years where I said, "No, this guy's not a Hall of Famer. He's not a Hall of Famer." Then the next year, I look at him and say. No, I think he is. I mean, I changed my mind, and I, I don't apologize for it. But that's what happens when they're on when they're on the fence. You know, a guy like mm -hmm. Andrew Jones is. People go back and forth on him. Gary Sheffield, you know, and then some players just annoy the heck out of you, like Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling, Kurt Schilling would be in the Hall of Fame if he just shut his mouth. <laughs> Kurt Schilling would now be in the Hall of Fame, which was which is the dream of him. But he, he just can't shut his mouth. He has to be the, the political expert of of our lifetime. And, you know, if that's what he wants to do, that's fine. But that's why he's not in the Hall of Fame. TR, uh, you mentioned Gary Sheffield, and he's he now goes to the Veterans Committee in, in however long that takes. Um, but just for him in particular, just kind of curious on on your opinion on him. A dude with 500 home runs, his, his war is like 60 and a half. So uh, he was a really fantastic player. But does he fall into that like Mitchell Report group or whatever where people look at him differently? Or, or, or what was the deal uh, on Gary Sheffield because he maybe didn't get to 3,000 hits? What was it? 
Well, the, 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 yeah, the, 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 the drugs thing is hurting him. There's just no doubt about it. He's being hurt by the drug thing. But, boy, I tell you what, if you look at Sheffield, and he's a, he's a, he's a great player, but there's some years, and I go back and forth on him, too. He was not a great defensive player. Yeah, he was a great slugger for a lot of years, but, you know, he had some great, great years, but they're, they're not they're, a lot of it is his longevity, which is, which is a plus, which is a plus plus for Hall of Fame candidate. But, you know, you know, was he that great of a player? He, he was, he was probably, he, I don't think he was as good as Don, uh, Don Mattingly. I don't think he was ever as good as Don Mattingly, but he played much longer. So he has greater career numbers. Don Mattingly is not in the Hall of Fame because he doesn't have great career numbers, just like Steve Garvey. Sheffield has great career numbers, but I'm not sure year to year that he was an elite player. I think he was a very dangerous hitter, but um, was he just lights out 1%? I don't know. He's pretty borderline in in my regard on that. TR, I know this is uh, already looking ahead, and I want to enjoy Adrian Beltre, but when you look down the line at a guy like a Corey Seager with his postseason he's a postseason hall of famer i think would would be very clear but obviously missed a lot of time in the regular season over the years what kind of benchmarks does a guy like that who's accomplished what he has would he need to hit to be in that hall of fame conversation down the line oh he needs he needs he's he's a long way away he's not there yet he's got to have about five six seven more great years he's got to put up some career numbers i mean he's starting to compile the the year by the the great seasons you know you want to have a you want to have a run. To me, I like to see a guy who's had 10 Hall of Fame seasons. I mean, 10 years where, you know, if you're like a guy like Seager, you know, or, or Jeter, 3 to 320 every year, 100, 100 plus runs scored or 100 RBI, something like that, a consistent run like that, gold gloves mixed in like that. That's that's step number one. Step number two, you know, a guy like Dale Murphy did not finish it off. I mean, that's just why Dale Murphy's not in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he was great in the 80s. You guys, well, some of you guys remember, Craig, you may not. <laughs> but in the 80s, he was fantastic. He was one of the best players in baseball, maybe the best. Mm-hmm. But he just, he nosedived, just like Don Manley. He nosedived. So, you know, even Mike Trout is starting to nosedive a little bit. I mean, Mike Trout, one time you would think, oh, he's a surefire Hall of Famer. And he probably is. But, you know, he's starting to nosedive a little bit. So you, you see that all, I've seen it all through the years. A guy, you think, oh, this guy's going to the Hall of Fame. This guy's a Hall of Famer. Well, here, here we are now. Dale Murphy's not in. Steve Garvey's not in. Uh, you know, Mattingly. You know, Don yeah. Mattingly's not in. You know, just guys that you thought, oh, these guys are going to be great. They're fantastic, and then you know, poof, they they did not finish. You got to finish that career. You got to you got to have some longevity, and you got to have great year, a long stretch of great years, but you also have to have longevity. It's it's a it's a balancing act when people go to vote. You know, you you look at the you look at what they call what they call peak value and career value. And you know, Dale Murphy had great peak value, but not long term value. And I think Sheffield has long term value, but I don't know if he has peak value. If that makes sense. So what's it like to see Beltre go in? And it was just what a couple of months ago when a team you followed through their uh, surge or through their horrible times. Won the damn World Series. What was that like for you, Tr? Well, I mean, you know, you you saw you guys watched it was a roller coaster year. There's, you know, they got to a great side. You go, wow, this this is a good team, but you know, they still their pitching is short, and but you know, they're they're not going to hold. You know, you're not going to hold up. You know, they got to a great start. I said, now their pitching, they they need more pitching. 
And, you know, Chris Young did a great job of, of feeding the pitching staff with, you know, Jordan Montgomery and, and those guys. And, you know, they kept staying, they kept staying. And then they would hit a slump. You go, yeah, they just did the, you know, here we go again. You know, we've been this, you know, you've been this through 53 years. We've all been through this for 53 years. And all of a sudden, they're in the playoffs. They got in the playoffs as a wild card team. Well, we all know that they've been in the playoffs as a wild card team. Or, you know, is not not a favorite, okay? I mean, they've won division titles, but they were, clearly weren't the favorite. What happened with me was, I looked at, when, when the playoffs started, I really took a hard look at all these teams. I go, nobody has good pitching in baseball. Nobody has good pitching. So my opinion of what happened with the Rangers is, the rest of the league came back to them as far as pitching. The Rangers had a, a, a great offensive team, which, as you guys know, they always had. And they, had, and they had a few decent pitchers, but their pitching wasn't that good this year because, you know, the injuries to mm-hmm. Grom and, you know, Scherzer and all that. But when I, when, I, when I really studied this thing at the start of the playoffs, I said, or the postseason, I said, nobody has the pitch. I mean, you know, people are crying about Atlanta and Baltimore won 100 games and, oh, they got knocked out and that's a shame. Hey, guys, the Dodgers, they didn't. Dodgers, that, that pitching was not good. I mean, it was not. I mean, it, it wasn't. It wasn't dominating pitching like great teams have. No team went into that postseason with a great dominating pitching staff, the kind like the Braves used to have and even the Yankees in their run. And Nobody had a great dominating pitching staff that you would sit there and go, wow, this, this team could make a really strong run. And the Rangers, you know, as I watched it, I just kind of – I was like, you know, this team this team can win because these other teams aren't going to – you remember the Yankees dominating the Rangers with pitching? Oh, yeah. You remember, when, you remember when they scored one run in three games? Yep. Nobody has that kind of pitching anymore. Nobody. Nobody. And so that gave the Rangers just as good a chance as anybody. You said 430. Uh, I, I said this to those in the chat. They love your opinions uh, and your honesty. You took me under your wing the first time I went to go cover the Rangers in Port Charlotte when I was starting to do talk radio. Always remember that. You're a great friend and obviously an incredible columnist, writer for Major League Baseball. It is great to hear your voice and so glad you could come on with us today. Hey, my, my phone number hadn't changed in 30 years, David. Ah. You can still, still dial this number. I, I, I still would, answer it. Hey, I, you should not tell me that. I will absolutely <laughs> abuse the power. And it's so good yeah. to hear from you. You're the first person I wanted to get on to talk about Beltre and also the Rangers. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate that. All right. We'll talk to you soon. T.R. Sullivan, Hall of Fame writer, Texas Baseball Hall of Fame, covered the Rangers for years. And also, uh, again, great, great to have him on the show today. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.